15, starting with verse 11. I'm going to talk about the prodigal son today. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. Uh, so before we get started, all verses in all the Bible should be learned in context. So we have to go a little bit further back before we just jump right into the prodigal son. So if we read further in the story, what we see here is Jesus has just spent the entire day teaching to the multitudes. Teaching, probably healing, probably feeding them, probably performing miracles, all of those things that we generally see Jesus doing throughout the Gospels. And after this day, he's gone to a house of probably a sinner or a tax collector. Again, this was pretty common for Jesus. This could be Zacchaeus' house or Levi's house, Levi who would become Matthew. This was common to what he did. And what, when he did this, it made the Pharisees and the scribes very mad. They were angry. How could a religious man, someone who is holy, someone who claims to be from God, how could he be spending time with these sinners? And worse than the sinners, the tax collectors, people who had sold out their own country for the Romans. Right? So he's sitting in this, in, the, in, his, in his house, eating his meal with these people, right? and he probably told these stories. These are the three stories that he would tell in sequence. And so it's a, we find the parable son as the third story in the group. The first one is about the lost sheep. The shepherd goes out, leaves the 99, finds the one, puts him on his shoulder, comes back, and there is much rejoicing. Okay? The second one is about the lost coin. The lady loses the coin, turns the light, goes and finds the coin, and there is much rejoicing when she finds it. And then there's this third story, the third story of the prodigal son. Now, all of these stories have to deal with joy of finding something. The joy of finding something lost. And we need to infer that when he's talking about this, he's not just talking about sheep and he's not just talking about coins. He's talking about people. So what matters here is people are being found. And so my thesis, what we're looking for today, is what does this story have to do with joy? And specifically, because I've read ahead and I know how the story is going to go, what keeps us, what prevents us from experiencing Experiencing the joy of the Father. All right, so let's start with verses 11 and 12. Then he said, this is Jesus, then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. So right away it's interesting that Jesus tells us that there are two sons. This is an important detail. In the literary world, Right? The trope we call is Chekhov's gun. There's no part of a story that's not important. And the fact that he brings this up right away is important to us. That's going to come back and play a role at the end of this story. Both brothers will have a role to play. So our story's focus begins with the younger son. And the son decides one day to go to his father and say, Father, give me my inheritance now. I want it. I want out of here. Now, a lot of commentaries and a lot of thinkers get caught up in some details that don't matter. The amounts are not important. Jewish inheritance laws are not important. That's not what's important here. What's important is the, the son goes to the father and says, I don't like you anymore. I don't love you anymore. I don't want anything to do with you. Give me what's mine. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go be the master of my life. I'm going to say what's right. I'm going to do what I want to do. And this is horrible. 
I personally could not imagine saying this to my father, my dad, the person who raised me, who brought me up, who taught me to throw a ball, right? The person who rode bikes with me, the person who plays basketball with me, the person who turned me into the man I am. I could not imagine saying that to my dad. What a slap in the face. How horrible is that? He doesn't love his dad anymore? He doesn't want to be under his roof? He can't spend any more time with him? How disrespectful can you be? And another thing to look at is the son is owed and do nothing. He's done nothing to earn this. He's not worked this farm for his, his life. This isn't his money. This isn't his just because it's his father's and he'll get it someday. The father owes him nothing. And the father could give him nothing. And when we see that, we see the disrespect, when we see the lack of love, and we say, wow, I could never do that, we have to realize that, no, actually, we do that every day. This is how everyone treats God. This is how everyone goes to God. We can see it in Romans 3.11. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. Going to God and saying, I don't want you anymore. This is how the entire world treats God. And yet the father, the father gives the son what he wants. He does what he asks. In an ultimate act of love, the ultimate act of love, the father gives the son what he asks for. He knows he does not deserve it. He knows it will not be used well. He knows it'll be wasted, and yet he does it. The ultimate act of freedom. Okay, you want to be your own master? Here you go. Because the father knows that if he forces the boy to stay, it's not love at all. Forced love isn't love at all. So the first thing to keep us from joy, the first thing that keeps us from the joy of the father is our fleshly, natural desire to separate ourselves from him. We want to be separated from him. That's natural to who we are. And there's no getting away from that. And so, as the father would know, what does the son do with his inheritance? Let's look at verses 13 through 16. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into his fields to feed swine. So the son takes everything the father has given him, all the blessings, all the love, everything his father has poured out on him, and he wastes it. Now the location isn't important. We don't need to figure out where Jerusalem is and look at a map and all. Again, that's not what Jesus' focus is on. The point is he goes far away. He goes to where the father cannot reach him, to where the father doesn't have a hold of him anymore. He gets as far away from him as he can, and he wastes that money. And the word waste is actually repeated in here. It's used twice. He says wasteful living, but he also says prodigal living. In Greek, the word is asotios, and it means extremely wasteful. That's how wasteful this is. Extremely wasteful. And it's repeated twice. It's extravagant. It's over the top. And it's a tinge of debauched. 
bad things. He's not doing anything good with this money. And the key is that the inheritance is truly wasted. If we're thinking that you know he, he's put something in aside for savings, or that he's built something up, or that he's going to go back to the Father with something, that's not the case at all. In fact, what we see is he basically took the money and lit it on fire. It's all gone. Gone. There's no memories to look back on and be happy for. There's nothing there to pick up and say, man, I wish I had done that some more. It's gone. The best example I could come up with was the time my wife and I drove through Las Vegas. We didn't stay long. Don't, don't think of me like that, right? <laughs> we drove through it. We were out of there by 7 a.m. <laughs> it was freaky. You have these people dressed to the nines, dressed nicer than I've ever seen people in the nicest church setting or the nicest wedding, whatever, dressed better than that. And they're sitting down at these tables, these, these gambling tables or these machines, and literally just throwing their money away. It's like they can't give up their money fast enough. Please, take my money. Get rid of it. Whoa! I, I could use some of that if you're just giving it away, right? <laughs> it's just wasting. It's this gross excess. This unstopped... That we, we can't go back. And generally, right, there was that slogan, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, because they know you're not going to go home and repeat these stories to other people. They know you're not going to do anything good that's worth doing. And it's a gorgeous mask. A gorgeous mask that's covering a dark reality. A very sorry world that when we look back on it, you go, wow, I can't imagine living like that. And for us, it was a glimpse of what, what hell will be someday. Where you think you're happy and you think you're having a great time, and it's not. It's, it's just loud and noisy and disgusting. And there's so many people, and it's just a, a, a cacophony against the senses. And it's people doing things that they can't tell anyone about. That's the wastefulness that we're talking about here. And there's a severe famine. So the son goes and spends everything, lights all his inheritance on fire, and then there's a severe famine. Then all of a sudden, the son who was on top, who had everything, is now in the dumps. And he has nothing. He has nothing. The wants and desires of extravagant living have been replaced with the needs and the must-haves just to survive. And again, hopefully we realize that he's talking about more than just food. There's an emptiness in all the land, and the emptiness catches up to the sun just as soon as he spent everything. This is an internal emptiness. This is a spiritual emptiness. No one there, no one among the sun is connected to the Father. No one. And he does probably the dumbest thing he could possibly do. He joins himself with someone else from this country. Someone who is not connected to the Father. This person is going to help me. This person can somehow help me. This person who can't help themselves, who is experiencing the same famine, the same emptiness, the same loss, he is going to help me. And again, we think to ourselves, oh, we'd never do that. That's crazy. How could the son do that? We do it every day when we take things like idols our money our careers our family we take these things and we try to use these things to fill the hole that is god shaped in our heart we do this every day we try to fill ourselves with the things of this world instead of filling ourselves with the things of god and so he goes out into the, the field and he 
This is uh, verse 17. 16. 16, yes, 16. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. The pods that the swine ate. Right? An emptiness inside of him, literally begging to be filled to the point where he's willing to eat what the pigs are eating. He's literally starving. And he's starving for more than just food. It's spiritual as well. A spiritual starvation crying out, please fill this bowl. And we, we should all know, sitting in this room, that those pods are not going to fill him up. This other person is not going to fix this hole. And this is the next thing that keeps us from experiencing the joy of the Father. The next thing that keeps us from experiencing the joy of the Father is the empty promises of the world that we use to try to fill ourselves. Those things that have no ability to help us, but we think they are. Our fleshly nature wants them to help us so bad, but they can't. They're not going to. No matter how many pods from the pigs that we eat, it's not going to fill us up. And so as the emptiness fills him, the son does something very interesting. Verses 17 through 19. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And that first phrase is so startling because there's no better way to say it. The boy comes to himself. You can look it up in the Greek. You can look it up in the commentators. You can look up any other different def, uh, translations. And they all say basically the same thing. He comes to himself. He, he regains his senses. He, he wakes up from a dream. He, he, he comes back to who he was. There's no good way to say it because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. He just comes to himself. And what we see is the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. Again, the best example I could think of was myself. I've had many people come to me and ask, well, what was the argument that made you a Christian? Right? If we know that argument, well, we can just repeat that argument over and over, and we'll save everybody. That's how it works, right? That's not how it works. And all I can do is look at them and say, honestly, I don't know. It was the same argument I had heard probably a hundred times before. The same argument my wife had been making for, for months on end, for an entire year, as she tried to convince me. She was not my wife at the time, but, right? I don't know. I can't tell you what it was. I can't give you a point-by-point, point, play play-by-play of what happened that turned it. I don't know. I just <clears throat> came to my senses. I just woke up. The Holy Spirit got a hold of me. And he softened my heart. And he said, enough, look, you know the truth. You know the reality. Accept it. And that's all I could do. And that's all we see him do here. And you notice what causes him to come to his senses? Notice what he remembers about his father. His servants have bread. His servants have bread. His father gave them bread so they could eat. In fact, they had plenty of bread. They were able to eat bread for days. It was the Father's kindness, the fact that he was kind to them. 
and gave them what they needed. If the father had been cruel, would the boy remember that? Probably not. And I ask this because it's important that we remember that as the church, we're God's representatives here on earth. When people think of God, they think of his people. They think of us. And if, the, if God's kindness is not being reflected out of us, then we're not giving them the proper view of God. Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. It's one of the things that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit is working through us, that's what we're showing people, God's kindness. The Father has bread he gives to everyone. And his Father's kindness leads him to his second thought. I should go back to my Father, and he realizes his second thought. He says, I am a sinner. I'm no longer worthy of being my Father's son. We call this repentance. He repents. He recognizes his sin. He feels bad about his sin. He recognizes he needs to rebuild that relationship with his Father. And he realizes he needs to go home. Romans 2.4 says the goodness or the kindness of God leads to repentance. It's what causes him to repent. And before we get to the best part, verse 20, before we get to verse 20, we've got to add another piece. Recognize this young man's fear that he has to be holding on to, right? Recognize the man's fear that he has to have. I've just disrespected my father in the worst imaginable way. I've taken everything he's given me and I've wasted it completely. I go to him with nothing. The best I can do is crawl and beg him, please, father, please just forgive me. Please just make me one of your hired servants so I just have enough bread to eat so I can be back in your household. The fear, the shame, the regret that this young man was holding on to. He realizes he deserves nothing. In fact, he deserves punishment. His father should turn him away. His father should say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's what his father should say. If there is any justice in the world, that's what his father should say. What keeps us from the joy of God here is our own refusal to put our fears and failures aside and return to the father. Our refusal to give up that shame that we carry and turn back to him. And so we get to the best part of the story. Verse 20, the best part of the story. And he arose and came to his father. That's the young man, the son. He arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The best part of the story, the Holy Spirit works in the boy's heart. He turns and he goes back to the father. And before we get too far, let's realize something. This is probably a huge understatement. A great way off. A great way off. He was in a far country. He had no money. He was starving to death watching the pigs eat. What possible chance does he have to close the gap between him and the father? How could he possibly close this gap? This isn't a far country. This isn't a little gap. This isn't an impossibility. This is an infinite gap that he could never cross. He's starving to death. <laughs> this is an infinite gap. There's no possible way he could cross this. But he doesn't need to. 
He doesn't need to. The Father sees him. The Father's been watching for him. The Father's been waiting for him. The Father's been keeping a lookout for him. The Father wants him to come back. He wanted to see the Son again. That's all he's been looking for. I want my son to come home. And he immediately had compassion. He looks down the road. He doesn't see a son. He doesn't see someone who's wasted his fortune. He doesn't see someone he hates and despises. He sees his son. My boy. Who I cradled in my arms. Who I held on my knee. My boy. He's back. That love never diminished. That love never stopped. That love never failed. It was his son. Coming down the road again. Coming to see him again. It was his son. And he runs to him. I see my own dad. My own dad, he ignores his joints. The pain that he has in his knees. He ignores his bad back. Right? He drops his cane. He shoves the servant out of the way. He clears the hedge. And like a man who's half his age, he is sprinting down that road as fast and as hard as he can just to get to his son. Because he loves him so much. That's how he does it. The son doesn't need to cross that gap. Because the father crosses that gap. The father comes to us. The Father does the work. We don't have to. Because he sees us and all he sees is love. And he hugs him. He throws himself on his neck. He draws him in close and he's never going to let him go. And he just draws him in and he holds him as high as he can. And he kisses him. His mouth, right? His mouth isn't scolding him. His mouth isn't yelling at him. His mouth isn't telling him, get out of here. His mouth is kissing him. I love you. I love you, you're back. And what does the son do? Verse 21, what does the son do? The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. He says, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Please, I'm so sorry. Please, just forgive me. Tears are streaming down his face and the boy just wants to apologize. And the father, but the father said to his, ser to his servants, Bring out the best robe. Put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. The father doesn't even listen to his apologies. I don't want to hear your apologies. It doesn't need to be said because I love you. He's too busy returning the boy to his status as his son. He's too busy starting a party. There's no condemnation. There's no excuses or apologies. There is only the grace of the Father because of his love for the Son. And hopefully, hopefully we should all see ourselves as that prodigal. Every one of us in here. We were lost. We were starving. And God ran to us. He threw himself on us and he saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. We tried to fill ourselves with the slot and the pigs. It didn't work. We rebelled against God. We said we didn't want anything to do with him and it didn't matter because he still ran to us. Many of us can probably even see ourselves as the father. And we just want, we're keeping a watch for our prodigal every day. Praying and wishing and hoping that that prodigal will come to their senses, turn around, and we will see them coming back up the road. I couldn't help but think of my own kids and their itty-bitty. I couldn't imagine what happened if they were to return prodigal. 
I can't even imagine. Some of us, are that's all we want, is that prodigal to turn around and come home so that we can wrap them in a hug. And hopefully we realize that as much as we want to wrap them in a hug, God the Father wants to even more. He wants them as well. But you see, there's a secret with this story. We've got to put it back into its context. There's a secret with this story. It's actually not about the prodigal. It's not about the prodigal. Let's look at verses 25 through 30. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. And as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. You see, the very beginning, right? There's a reason Jesus told us there are two brothers. Because this story is actually about the older brother. This story is about the Pharisees and the scribes. As God ran down the lane and threw his arms, as Jesus ate with the sinners and the tax collectors, the Pharisees and the scribes were, how dare you? Look, we have done this for you. We've, done, we've lived our whole lives following everything you said. And we can all fall into this trap. I've only been a Christian for a little bit. A little while. And even I find myself falling into this trap. How dare you love those other people? Look at the sin in their life. Look at what they've done. Look at how bad they are. I'm the older brother, right? And I've come in working from the field. I've worked all day for you. I've worked for years for you. I've been obedient. I've been the good son. I've done what you've asked me to do, and you've never given me anything. He returns, and he's mad because the younger brother has been accepted with open arms. The brother was not waiting and watching for the prodigal. There was no love and no compassion when he returned, and there was no joy as celebration broke out. In fact, what we see is he doesn't even let the father speak. He tells the father how it should be. He knows better than the father. He calls him, that son of yours. He doesn't even call him a brother. That son of yours. Look at what he's done. He's wasted your livelihood. Yeah, it is the father's livelihood. So why are you upset about it? I've done what you said. I followed your rules. I followed the law. But his heart was not with the Father. He would have asked for his inheritance just as readily and just as easily. Because he didn't want to be there. And we see that. The older brother didn't want to be with the Father any more than the younger brother did. He had rebelled. And he was living as a hypocrite. And he couldn't understand why the Father would love anyone that wasn't him. We lose the joy of God when we decide to pick and choose who God should love. This is a constant daily reminder I give myself every day at the library. Every day when I have really weird people come in, and I say that in the nicest way, because there's no other way to say it. They like to tell me they're going to the bathroom. They like to, you know, bring in their carts full of stuff. 
They like to be dirty and filthy. And all I can say is, hey, they're a prodigal too. Hey, God's looking out for them too. How can I reflect God's kindness? Hey, God wants them. God loves them. The father has the last words. Verses 31 through 32. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. The father's last words. Everything I have is yours. It's yours, right? You refuse to be joyful. You refuse to come into the party. There's a party going on right here. Come on in. No, you are the one refusing to come in. Do you realize your, your brother was dead? Those people that we meet on the street, those people that come into the library every day, they are dead. And, and when they come to the Lord, they're alive. That's, that's worth celebrating. It's the right thing to do. And, and yet, our story ends here. This is where the story ends, and there's no indication that the older brother ever joins the party. There's no indication of that. This story, as much as I love verse 20, and as much as we all see ourselves as the prodigal coming home and Papa just rubbing up and loving us, as much as we want to see that, this story is a condemnation of the Pharisees and the scribes. They couldn't understand why Jesus ate with sinners because they refused to believe that they were sinners. They had obeyed God and believed God should be loving them. And if we're not careful, if we're not diligent, every day we can put on the same attitude. We can begin to see others as unworthy of God's love. And we forget, we forget that we are also unworthy of God's love. That's the love of God. So we lose the love of God, we lose the joy of God, excuse me, we lose the joy of God when our pride decides that we know better than God. We know how he should be doing things. And so, as we go into communion today, let us ask ourselves where we stand with the Lord. If you still see yourself as a long way off, if you can only see shame, fear, and regret that surrounds the prodigal living, then today is the day to come to your senses. Today is the day to come to yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. Open your eyes from the dream and see the Father run to you. If you are already in the Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, then thank Him for His mercy. Thank Him for His grace. And ask Him to keep you connected to His joy. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this, as far, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
till he comes. Okay, can we pass out the elements? Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that while we were still a long way from you, 
you came to us. You ran to us across a gap we could not bridge ourselves. You provided the salvation. Thank you, Lord. Help us to seek the lost, to do your work with a cheerful heart, and to see all those we meet as your sons and daughters. Help us reflect your kindness to lead others to repentance, and help us keep a humble heart, knowing that we were once prodigals, and we still need you daily. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us, for all that you give us. In the precious and holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen.